this next season in my life as a pastor and in our life as a church is going to be marked as a season where we learn and yearn together to depend more desperately on the Lord than we ever have. Because our God is a great God. Father, we thank you so much for your glorious grace. You are the giver of our life. And we come today to you because we need you so much. You've given us life that we might know you. This is eternal life. We might know God, the living God, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, whom he sent. Oh God, we yearn to know you more. You are the giver of life and the reason for life. And Lord, we know the brokenness of our own hearts. We know the sin, Lord, that so easily entangles us. Each of us has gone astray. Each of us has gone to look somewhere else for what we were only meant to find in you. God, we are so needy, so broken, and so desperate, Lord, and all we have without your grace is a sentence of condemnation. Life apart from you. Which is why, God, we come with our arms raised and our hearts swelling to say, oh God, what glorious grace. That you and your love for us would choose not to leave us where we deserve to be so far and cut off from you, left in our sin, but that you would come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That you would come to live for us the life we should have lived for you. So that we might have righteousness, not of our own, but of you, God. So that you would take our place in death, the death we deserve to die. So that we would not have condemnation, but the opportunity to be forgiven and to cleansed from sin. Oh God, that you would take our place in the grave, that place of separation from you for all eternity, and God, that you, after three days, would raise your Son and our Savior from the dead, that there might be hope for new life. Oh God, what glorious grace. Glorious grace. Father, it's not just a distant word that we proclaim, it is our testimony by grace we have been saved. And it is not of ourselves, it is a gift of you, God. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for the gift of life. And God, we thank you that if you did not spare your own son, you will not spare what is needed and good for us right now in our lives. So Father, in our struggles and in our doubts and our disbelief, oh God, we, we bring our hearts to you and our lives to you, our present circumstances to you, and we ask that you remind us of your love and your work of your grace and your care for us, that we might continue to believe you for who you are and what you desire to do. God, encourage us today in your gospel. Thank you for your, the gift of life. Thank you. You are our life. Speak today, God. Your word is alive. Your spirit is alive with those who believe. And Lord, I thank you because I feel weak and I know that if it's just me, Lord, this message will have no effect. But if it's you, you can penetrate to our hearts and you can change us. May we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and may we be open 
to what you desire to say and do. I pray this for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and it's good to see you this morning. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to get it open to the book of Luke, chapter 18. We are in the middle of a season and a series called Desperate Dependence, and we've defined desperate dependence as this, and if you're new this morning, I'm so glad you're here. We're just a big family of believers from across this downtown area, and we are just hoping this morning that you feel loved by us and our church family, but also, more importantly, by God. We've been talking about the season of desperate dependence. We define it as this, a posture of abiding in God's presence, longing for God's power, and depending on his promises. Jesus said, in a moment of anger, as he walked into a church of his day, as he saw so many things going on, but very little going on what God truly desired, he said, is it not written that my house, my people, the place where my people come to worship would be known as a house of prayer? One of the defining characteristics of the life of everyone who truly knows God is that that life is a praying life. That life is a dependent life, and not just any dependent life, a desperately dependent life. It's one of our key measures of a disciple of Jesus any authentic disciple of Jesus will find, you will find this characteristic, a characteristic of growing desperate dependence upon the Lord. And this is not an activity that we're talking about, something you do three times a day before you have a meal, or something you do once a day in the morning. We're talking about a posture, a lifestyle of depending on the Lord desperately in all things, because that's how we were made to live, desperately dependent upon the Lord abiding in his presence, longing for his power, and depending upon his promises. No wonder the disciples ask in Luke 11:1, 1, Lord Jesus, would you please teach us how to pray? And that's been our heart throughout the season. Much more than a series, we've been asking personally and corporately for God to move us closer to his heart, move us closer to a lifestyle that looks like his command to pray without ceasing. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about praying with persistence, the importance of waiting in hope. If you've got your guides, it's page 124 of your guides. If you've got something to write notes, please get something out so you can take notes this morning. But we're talking about praying with persistence, the importance of waiting in hope. One of the desires we had at the start of this series, if you notice in your guide, it's the very last week that's actually in your guide, but we didn't mark specific weeks to specific titles of sermons. And the reason is because we desired for God to lead us in this season of prayer, for us not to say, God, this is what you want us to do on this date, and pretend like we actually knew exactly what he was going to do in this season. And so part of what you're seeing here is our responsiveness to the Lord as we believe he's leading us in this season of uh, dedication, especially starting tomorrow, if you haven't heard, starting tomorrow through Easter, a season of increased dedication to be disconnected from the world and more connected with God and waiting upon Him with belief for who He is and what He can do and the specific things He's put on our heart, a season of fasting and prayer, which I hope you'll consider joining us in. But this message, God clearly showed us, was fitting for the time. So, y'all ready for it? I'm just waiting on her. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just playing. But I, I am inviting 
your anticipation and participation with the Lord. Does anyone like to wait? No one. Interesting. Um, you know, it seems to be our nature is one of impatience. Sinful nature is that. Impatience defined by Merriam-Webster as restlessness, especially under irritation, delay, or opposition. Anybody ever experienced that? Um, and I think the reality is, in our culture, it, we have a culture of instant gratification, right? Y'all, I'll just wait. It's okay. As we talk about waiting, we'll just wait. So, the reality is, almost none of us like to wait. And then on top of that, we have this cultural thing where we just get so, like, accustomed to being instantly gratified in everything. I mean, in the old days, for instance, uh, this past week, I was actually wanting to get some information on a specific country, and I was trying to dive deeper because there were some things that I specifically wanted to explore and understand. In the old days, meaning even like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I remember, I mean, I was in elementary school, so I remember the days where if you wanted to look up information on a country, you went to the physical library, and you went to the librarian, and you had to wait in line to talk to the librarian, and you said, do you have any information on this country, and they, country, and they took you to these, these like drawers, and they pulled out, and they went through like 50 million little cards to find the exact little numbers with the little decimal points in between, I can't even remember, Dewey Decimal System, is that right? Y'all remember that? Some of you young folks don't even know what Dewey Decimal is. And you would literally take the little number and then you go down the aisles, up and down until you find the little dots and the numbers that correspond to the little card that, that you waited two hours for. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You finally sit down in the encyclopedia, you figure out what the table of contents says, you spend another hour trying to find the specific paragraph you're looking for, and you feel really satisfied because you did it quicker like that than you did this time last week, right? And then this week, I'm looking up information for a country, and I literally, you guys, typed it in my little Google thing on my phone, and for some reason, like, I didn't have two, I had, like, one or two bars instead of four, and it took, like, ten seconds to load, and I was frustrated. <laughs> I kid you not, I was like, this thing, so slow. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? <laughs> it was just like, and, and we just are, like, so accustomed to just getting everything we want when we want it. Um, yesterday, a true confession, I went to Ikea, which probably was a mistake, but I love that store. Anybody ever been to Ikea? And I literally got to the cash registers, and there were like four cash registers that were open, like probably a hundred of us that were trying to check out. And I got to the line, I was like, no! Because there was like, you know, two or three people in front of me. And literally, this mom who had like 15 carts of like, you know the Ikea boxes, right? Plus five children running around, like literally got right in front of me, and I was sitting there going, oh my word. I, I was like picturing how long I was going to take to scan all of those little things, because they don't even give you bags there. I mean, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> and she literally looked at me, and she says, would you like to go around this? And I'm just telling you, your pastor standing in front of you today. I was like, yes, please. And I just cut in front of her. <laughs> I, like, no compassion. I was just like, I ain't waiting for this mess. And I checked out and left, and it was, I felt good. <laughs> right now, I feel guilty. But 
I mean, we will even pay to skip lines. How do you think TSA PreCheck works? I mean, you guys are paying to skip a line or Disney Fast Pass. I mean, what is this? We just, I mean, it's just we don't like to wait. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Michelle called me literally Monday night excited. She said, praise the Lord. I said, what? She said, the DMV has self-serve kiosks. DMV used to be the epitome of impatience, right? Oh, like you had to take off work for a whole day to go and show them what you did. She said, I walked in and I got my license in five minutes. I was like, thank you, Lord. I mean, it was like a moment of worship. Anyway, waiting. It's a reality for all of us. It's a reality. It's a tough experience, whether it's things, small things like waiting for lying at the grocery store waiting for the guy to show up to install your cable, or whether it's big things like what you're supposed to do with a decision, or waiting on a job, a child. What about waiting on God? You guys ever experienced that? You ever have seasons of life where you feel like you're waiting like waiting on God, the living God who hears us, who promises to answer us. Well, you're just waiting. I know there have been many seasons in my past waiting on reconciliation, relationships, waiting on redemption for others that I care about so much, waiting on Jobs to start or provision to come. Clarity for decision. Even now, as I search my heart for preparation for this season of fasting and prayer, this message today, I was thinking about just the things that I feel like I'm waiting for to Lord. Salvation for others who are really close to me. Heart change. Things in my heart that I just like, desperately want to see change. I'm like, God... Where are you? Like, I'm just ready for you to like zap my heart and get rid of that. I know you can do that. God, I'm waiting on you. Do you feel like you're waiting on God for anything? Have you experienced that in your past? Or maybe are you experiencing that in your present? And what are those things? Big questions come up when we wait on God. What is this all about? <laughs> when does this end? Why is this so hard? And am I the only one waiting so long? Anybody ever resonate with any of these? The question I have for us today is, how do we learn to pray? Friends, how do we learn to pray in times where we feel like God is not answering? How do we learn to pray in seasons of waiting. The reality is one of the most difficult aspects of prayer is persevering when you feel like God is not answering. Luke chapter 18 brings us into our text today because the Lord Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our situation. He knows that these are the questions we're asking, that you're asking 
and He wants to speak to you. He, in His grace, gives a word to us, to those who are His disciples. He gave this word to them, and He gives it to us today. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 8 in the ESV. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord Jesus said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Because here we are asking these questions. What does it look like to keep praying in times of waiting where we sense that God is not answering? you got to know that Luke 18 comes right in the middle of a bigger discourse about the coming kingdom of God. After chapter 17, he's talking about what's going to happen between the time that he comes and is resurrected and then the time that he comes again. And the reality is, his disciples are going to need to persevere. And they ask a lot of questions of Jesus, like, how are we going to persevere? Like in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, how, how are we going to be, be spared? How are we going to stay faith-filled and faithful to you, Jesus? And Jesus wants them to. In fact, at the very end of this parable, we see verse 8 says clearly the, what Jesus desires. When the Son of Man comes, when He does come again, will He find faith on earth? Will He find faith in you? In other words, in this in-between time, and in the in-between times, of your life as you go to the Lord with specific things and believe the Lord for specific promises and you wait upon Him. The question Jesus is asking is, will He find faith in you? So the question is, how, how are we going to, how do we have this faith, right? What does this look like? How can we endure to the end? And the answer comes in this parable. In verse 1, pay attention, 
We're going to do a little bit of exegetical work this morning. Okay, you excited? I'm going to bring back the arrows from Galatians. Anybody excited? Okay, here we go. And he told them a parable to the effect. Okay? Underline to the effect. To the effect that. In other words, Jesus is telling us this parable, and it's not a parable. We've got to figure out what he's telling us. The Word of God gives us the clear reason that Jesus tells them this particular parable. It has an effect. Now, there's a two-part effect. First part, draw an arrow to this phrase. Number one. The effect is, number one, that you ought always to pray. That you ought to always pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Jesus is reinforcing right here. We ought to be people who pray without ceasing. Jesus wants you to live your life in desperate dependence. To where the constant posture of your heart, they ought always to pray. This is the point of his parable. That you would understand that the constant posture of your heart should be one of prayer, desperate dependence upon the Lord. This word ought is the idea of necessity. It's not an optional activity for those who are really committed Christians. This is a necessary posture of life for all who know how they've been truly created by God to exist, to live, to find the essence of being. Secondly, he told them a parable to the effect that not only, number one, they should always pray, but number two, it says, and not lose heart. So his first intended effect is that we ought always be praying postured in desperate dependence. And secondly, that as we wait on the Lord, as we go to Him, that we ought not lose heart, which tells you that you and your human tendencies are prone to lose heart. You're prone to give up on prayer. We're weak. And in the face of delay, He knows you. He knows that there's a temptation. There's potential for you as you wait on the Lord for prolonged seasons. There is potential for you to stop praying about things. For you to stop believing the Lord as passionately as you began to believe and ask of Him. There is a temptation for that to just fade away. And Jesus has an intended effect when he tells us this parable. Number one, that we should keep praying. And we, as we keep praying, number two, we should not give up. We should persist in our prayers. We should persevere. So, we know the point of his parable. So let's get to the parable. So verse 3, he says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary, for a while I refused. And, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so she won't beat me down by her continual coming. It's a strange little parable, isn't it? 
First of all, it deals, there's two characters, right? Just two characters. First character is an unjust judge. It's a guy who doesn't fear God, it says. He doesn't respect men. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus says we should do. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? The second character is this woman. She's got a need. There's only one person who can meet her need, and that's this man. He's the only one that can give her justice against her adversary. And she is a persistent woman. This dude judge, I mean, imagine it here in downtown, right? Finding out who a judge is, and you go to his court, and he's not willing to even hear your case. And then you go, well, he's the only one that can hear my case. Imagine a system where that's the case, okay? He's the only one that can hear my case. And instead of just going, oh, I can't believe you didn't hear my case, and giving up and being discouraged and just leaving and dejected and dealing with it on your own, no, she goes, no, he's going to hear my case. And she's going to go back tomorrow. She's going to, Mr. Judge. And she's going to do everything she can to try to get in that courtroom to where she can hear a case. And it gets to the point where this woman is so persistent in her asking, so desperate in her need, so believing that he might change his mind, that she hunts him down. Can you imagine? You find out where the judge lives. Go park your car outside that house. Stand and wave as he goes in and goes out. And after a while, he's putting up security fences, and he's got cameras installed. He's got security guards out the house. But she's yelling, Hey, Mr. Judge! And just annoying the mess out of him. In fact, we know that because he says, She was bothering him. Okay? So this is the woman. She is, she keeps on coming. She's not asking for an advantage. She's asking for justice. Very interesting. Well, after a while, what happens? It reminds me of what happened this week with Caroline. She's at the top of the steps. She wants me to see an art project that she's made. It's a few pages of paper that she made a little book out of. I've seen this same similar book about 15 times, right? I'm at the bottom of the steps working on some things, and I was not wanting to be interrupted. Dad, Dad, can you come? Look at, me, look at, look at, look at what I did. Not right now, Caroline. I'm in the middle of something. Dad, literally three seconds later. <laughs> Seconds got a little bit longer in between the ask, but eventually, after about probably 15 or 20 times of hearing, Dad, Dad, guess what I did? I went upstairs. I, could, I, just, I just did it. I mean, I would like to say that it was because I loved her. <laughs> but honestly, I was just started hearing, Dad, Dad. I was like, I gotta get back to my work here. In a similar way, with not the right heart, this judge is going, I'm just ready to be done with this. And the parable ends with him saying he decides to give her justice, to answer her request, to give what she's been desperately seeking and persistently seeking. And it's done. What do you think about the story, disciples? Interesting. 
after the story sets in for a few minutes, I'm imagining the Lord Jesus looked up as disciples. In response to their desires to know how will they persevere and persist in faith in the end. And he looks out up at them and he says here in verse 6, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. There's several things about Jesus' response and conclusion to this parable that are important. The first is, will not God give justice? In other words, don't think that Jesus is telling you this to equate the unrighteous judge with God. That's not the point. Just as Jesus used the, the parable about his second coming like a thief in the night, it's not to say that God's a thief. It's meant to show that God's coming will be unexpected. In this parable, he's not saying that God is like the judge. What he's saying is that God wants persistence in our prayers. But God is different than the judge, which is why Jesus pivots it. And he says, and don't you know, guys, that as you go to God, he will give justice. In other words, the first reason that you should go to God persistently is because of his character. So often when we are waiting on the Lord and we don't understand his timing, we don't understand his purposes, we ask questions like when or why or how could you? And sometimes we must be careful not to challenge the justice or the goodness of God, friends. What Jesus is teaching is God is a just God. He is a good God. He makes right decisions. God is wonderful in every way. And will not God, contrast to the judge, give justice a good God who's a, in his heart and in his ways, he does things rightly to his elect? Next phrase that you need to pay attention to. Part of persisting in prayer is not only knowing that his character, but also knowing your care in his hands. Knowing that right now at this moment, he cares for you. You are his children. You are loved by your good father. Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if an unjust judge who is not like God will hear the case of a widow and a stranger, then how much more will God, the just God, hear our case who's not a stranger to him, but his children, his elect? Do you see what Jesus is saying? It's a huge difference. God is in his grace initiated a relationship with us to be his children he choose he chose us to be in his family 
And listen, friends, He will listen to us. Any good father that is like God, our Father, listens to their kids, cares about their needs. I'll tell you what, last night, 9 o'clock, Caroline's with her grandparents this weekend. I got a phone call from Mr. Steve, Michelle's dad. Can you talk to your daughter? Of course I can. Call. Literally, as soon as it picked up, Dad, I miss you. Oh. And then she wanted to tell some, she asked me, can we tell some silly jokes? And we had a lot of fun on the phone, you know. But man, when my daughter calls me, I listen to her. And there's sometimes that I don't give her what she's wanting and when she's wanting it. And she might believe that I'm not good or that I don't love her, but I'm telling you, I love that little girl. And when I lead her and make decisions for her, even when she protests and can't understand, I'm telling you, I'm looking out for her. She's my little girl. And if you can see that in me, an imperfect father, oh, I pray that you could see that so much more in God, our perfect father. He loves us. Psalm 103:13. just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 1 Peter 5, cast your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you. He cares for you. Let me tell you this, and you're waiting. One thing that you can know as you wait, which will help your persistence in prayer, is that God never delays an answer to you because of his lack of concern for you or his lack of care for you or his lack of power to work in your life. It's never for those reasons. God cares for you and is concerned for you. As Tim Keller said in an Instagram post last week, I, I like his Instagram post, but he said, God always answers prayers. He either answers the prayers we're praying or the prayers that we would have prayed if we knew everything that he knew. God cares. So never doubt his character and never doubt his care for you. His delays, even if you don't understand, are always for our good. Then he goes on and he says, will not, okay, so God give justice, his character to his elect, that's his care, who cry to him day and night. In other words, as you, part of why, some, I got questions on this this week, and Rob got questions on this, part of why fasting is important is it moves our heart to be more desperate for God. As God sees us disconnecting more, to seek him more, he sees, it's not about what we're doing for our body, it's about getting our body in a way that we can give our hearts more to him. Removing all distractions so that we can feel the essence of what we are. We are made to be desperate for the Lord. We don't need distractions to make us think otherwise. For those of us who are coming desperately to the Lord, don't you know, Daddy, 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 of course he's going to hear you. Then he says, will he delay long over time? Will he delay long over time? And he follows it up with a statement in verse 8 when he says, I told you, he will give justice to them speedily. 
In other words, guys, one of the keys to understanding persistence in prayer is not only knowing the character of God or the care of God, but knowing that God will answer you. God answers every prayer. And sometimes we thank God for what we call unanswered prayers, right? But it's more like what I was describing earlier. God hears, listen, God hears the concerns of our heart. And sometimes the specific requests we're making, we may not know exactly. Is that the, the best thing? But he always knows what's the best thing. And as he sees the concerns of our heart, he answers. And it says here, he does it quickly. We've got to understand that God's timetable is not our timetable. Y'all ever been in seasons of waiting where you're like, I have waited forever! Only to interact with another person who's more mature in faith and begin to hear their testimony and you start realizing, I haven't even begun to wait. In the end, we will see what 2 Peter 3, 8 describes. A thousand years to the Lord's. A day is like a thousand years. I mean, it's in God's timing and his perspective. We just don't see it in the way that God sees it. But what God promises here, what Jesus is saying, is that God will answer in the right time. God will answer, friends. He will. And you might think it's forever. And he's not unconcerned for how you feel. But I'm telling you that God is a good God and he cares for you and you will see a day when your faith becomes sight. Praise God. So the point of all of this If you go back to the beginning, it's not to compare the unjust judge with God, not at all. The point of all of this is what he says in the beginning, okay, go back to verse 1, that we might always pray and not lose heart. In other words, the answer of the question of how to endure in seasons of waiting is pray, 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 pray. Persist in praying. Come to him. Come to him. Come to him. Live before him. Take your needs to him. Cry out to him. Believe his character. Know his care. Trust his timing. Keep coming. Pray, pray, pray. And do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Persistent prayer is the demonstration of a faith that is real and who God is and a belief that he will act decisively and justly in the cries of his people. And if you believe who God is and you believe that he will act, your life will be demonstrated by persistent prayer. That's the point. When you stop believing a prayer will be answered, you stop praying. It's a sign of what's happening in our heart and our faith. We must keep praying.
why he closes with the question. Verse 8, when Jesus comes, will he find faith in you? With the promises that he's made and the request and the needs that you have, if Jesus were to come today, would he find you at his door knocking? That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says clearly, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who, y'all read it with me, ask, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. He's literally saying, where are the desperate widows of this age? Where are those who persist and persevere in prayer because they know the goodness of God, they know the care of God, and they know the power of God to act justly? Ask, seek, find. If Jesus were to come today, would he find you asking and seeking and knocking? That's what he's asking you. I just want to say this morning that waiting on the Lord in hope is one of the constant themes of the Bible, and it's one of the most important spiritual principles in life. Waiting on the Lord in hope. That's the subtitle of the message today, the importance of waiting in hope. God calls us to believe him, friends. And when we believe him, we will wait upon him. Charles Swindoll, in his little book about Paul, as he talks about his season of waiting, says, exceptional work is often preceded by extended waiting. Many of the times we think that the ways to pursue answers to prayer is getting ourselves together and trying to figure it all out and mustering up our skills and sharpening our resume and just doing something more for the Lord. But really, what we see over and over in Scripture is that God calls us into seasons of waiting often. And in these seasons, He's preparing us. He is most often through these extended periods of waiting, honing skills and breaking our wills to shape our character and to give us depth, he says. I love this line. If you have any of the quote to write down, I would love for you to write this down. While he works, we wait. Or you could switch it around and say, while we wait, he works. So often we feel like in our seasons of waiting, that God is not working, and it's just not true, friends. God is working. And part of His work is done while we're waiting. And often what I've found in my own life, y'all tell me if it's not true, but as you are required to wait on the Lord and be persistent in prayer. What ends up happening in your own heart? Greater surrender, right? In our seasons of waiting, what God is often doing is bringing us to the end of ourselves so that He can answer and it not be us at all, but it all be about Him. 
<laughs> while we're waiting, he is working. There's tons of examples of waiting in Scripture. You can see it in Abraham and Sarah waiting on a promised son until they're extremely old in age, beyond childbearing years. You can see it in Joseph waiting through many seasons of life, being sold into slavery, forced into a new culture and language, wrongly accused of rape, being put into prison forever. Are you kidding me? This is the promise? Yeah, it is. Until he became the prime minister of Egypt. Moses waiting 40 years in the desert, tending sheep in the plains of Midian. Hannah waiting years and years for a child and a family that she had longed for. David waiting 13 years after he's anointed king as a fugitive from Saul from the time that he would take the throne. Elijah waiting on the Lord at the brook. Esther waiting years before she was used by God for such a time as this, as Rob taught last week. Paul waiting years after he was saved and called to ministry, before he could open his mouth and proclaim the gospel. Are you serious? Yes, we're serious. This is a constant theme of Scripture. People waiting on the Lord. And we often look at their lives and we go, oh, look at how Moses saw the answers of God, or Esther saw the answers of God, or Paul saw the answers of God. And it goes on and on. But friends, don't overlook Years and years and years and years and years of persistent prayer and waiting on the Lord. These great saints who lived by faith were not just microwaving prayers to God and seeing instant gratification. They were learning to live in perseverant hope through season after season after season of desperate dependence, abiding in His presence, longing for his power, depending on his promises, and yes, friends, their faith was made sight. This is a testimony of the scripture. And Swindoll says, in the waiting room is where God begins doing his deep work inside of you. Because in the waiting room, you see his weakness, and you see his strength. Over and over in the scriptures, I don't have time for you to turn to them all. You can Download this PowerPoint later. Or you can write down the references quickly. We see it all over the scripture. Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait, wait, wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7. Be still and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over those evil ones who prosper in their way, but wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is in him. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 91, verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide, will wait in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 94, 17 to 19, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, oh God, your steadfast love was what held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheered my soul. Psalm 130 verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman wait for the morning, the night guard can't wait till he gets off. I, more than that, my soul waits, God, for you. So, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. For the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint. This is what I'm saying. He's working while you're waiting. 
He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows more than you do about what you're asking for. And he gives power to the faith. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Therefore, it says, even youth shall faint to be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up like wings on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah 49, verse 23, Kings shall be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. Then you will know that I am the Lord when they bow down to you. Those who wait for me, friends, will not be put to shame. Hosea chapter 12, verse 6, So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love, and wait continually before the Lord. Micah chapter 7, verse 7, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for my God, the God of my salvation, for my God will hear me. Are you overwhelmed yet? I could keep going. But what I want to say to you, friends, is we must learn to wait upon the Lord, to persist in our praying. We must learn that God is working as we're waiting. And it is better to wait on the Lord than to depart from Him. Wait on the Lord. Ask, seek, knock. Wait on the Lord. And he told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And will he find faith in you? As I close this morning, I'm going to ask our team to come, but there's some questions that I'm going to put on the screen here that I really need you to consider as we move into our time of prayer. What are you waiting for? I asked you that at the beginning of this day. What are you waiting for? I saw a lot of heads nodding earlier. I feel like you understand waiting on the Lord. But in those specific places, what are you waiting for? What do you need to continue to wait for? It's a little bit of a different question because I really believe that for some of us, there have been things that you felt that God has called you to wait for and you've grown discouraged. Those things are no longer on your prayer list or maybe they're on your list, but you're not praying with passion and you're not praying with persistence. Maybe you've just been overcome with doubt. And there may be things that this morning God is awakening your heart to remember that the posture of our life should not just be praying once, but praying always, and not just praying occasionally, spontaneously, but praying persistently. To be so desperately dependent upon the Lord that we go to Him and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. And as we pray, we don't lose heart. He told this story to you this morning so that you would always pray and not lose heart. So I'm asking you, what are you waiting for? And what 
do you need to continue to wait for or to start waiting for again? And third, do you really believe that the Lord can answer? I'm telling you this morning, you look no further than the cross. You can see the love and the power of God displayed. You can see his goodness and his grace. You can see his justice and his mercy. You can see his care and his concern. Look to the cross of your Savior and understand that if God did not spare the greatest for you, then he's not going to spare these things that you're waiting on him for. Do you believe that God can answer and will? I'll tell you how I know whether or not you believe it. It's what Jesus said, whether or not he finds persistent faith in you. And fourth, this gets at the heart of what this next 21 days is really all about. Are you desperate for him? I was thinking about this with some of the situations that right now I've been on my face and asking the Lord for. There are some real things in my life that I've been waiting years for. And I long to see God answer, but I honestly, part of this call to fasting in my life is, is a call to greater desperation and to be moved. Some of us, I think as we pray, it's almost like when we are praying, it's like you get to a long line or something, and if, if, you, if all you've got is like, I just need a piece of gum, and you see a long line, and you're like, nah, I'm not going to wait. Not that big of a deal. And you choose to forfeit the wait because you're really not that concerned for whatever it is that you needed. Contrast that to the mother, the single mother in refugee camps right now in Syria who literally will not eat and her kids will not eat unless that humanitarian worker puts that scoop of soup in her bowl. I guarantee you, she will wait. She will wait as long as it takes because she knows that she, and more importantly, her children need that food. And sometimes I wonder how desperate we truly are for the things that we're asking. And I'm wondering if this message today might not be calling us to evaluate what we're truly desperate for. Because you wait for the things you long to see. Ask, seek, and knock. The point of the parable is to keep praying. Keep praying, church, and do not lose heart. He is faithful. And while you wait, he is working. He is working. So this morning, I'm calling you to prayer. Right now, wherever you are, I'm asking for our prayer counselors to come forward. I'm asking for, if anyone feels called, to come to the altar and just pray. I really believe this morning that God is desiring for us to, to continue to say, oh God, I want to persist in prayer. I want to continue to believe you for what you can do. I'm coming desperately to you. With any sin that he's convicted you of, seeking repentance for that, resting in the security of his love and receiving from his grace this morning, God is calling you to be one who persists in prayer, who waits in hope. So I'm asking that you come. Every person in a posture of prayer as we respond in these moments, right now as you evaluate these questions, I'm just asking you to spend time with the Lord and pour out your heart to him. Come to the altar. Come pray with this group who loves the Lord and who loves you. 
we're here, whether it's a decision for Christ, the church, or just a need for prayer, this is our time to respond to God. So everyone praying, everyone seeking the Lord, asking, seeking, knocking, He is faithful. Father, thank you. Thank you now that you're working in your Holy Spirit. You're working in our hearts. You're calling us to believe you, calling us to wait upon you in hope. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.